So, do y'all watch, anybody watch lots of uh, movies? Not necessarily lots. Anybody watch movies? Yeah? Anybody like images? So, I, you know, we watch movies. And um, I thought, it'd be real interesting to kind of get your take on this. Um, and we'll see, how, we'll see how this goes. Could you go ahead and put that up, Jake? So I got some images, you know, some common ones. Um, okay, so anybody know who that is? I don't, because I'm asking because I don't remember. Who is John, yeah, who? John, John Legend. <laughs> it's John Legend, and he is playing Jesus Christ Superstar. Okay, got that? All right, so go ahead and do another one there. Okay, so anybody remember this one? This hit, right? First time ever on television. The greatest story as it's never been told before. Right, that's Chris Sarandon's, uh, Sarandon. Right. He, he's the guy that played Fright Night in the 80s. He was the vampire. That's, that's him, Jesus. All right, go to the next one. Okay, this is him again. Okay, this is werewolf Jesus. <sighs> um... I don't know. Go, oh, yeah, let's go to the next one. I don't know what to do with it. Oh, okay. And this one. Now, who does that look like? Anybody? Matthew McConaughey. Yeah, yeah. It's not. It's Chris, it's Chris Sarandon. But we'll go with Matthew McConaughey because it'll be funnier. Right? So he's like, Peter, you know I love you. And we're going to win this thing. Or something. So, all right. Oh, okay. Now, I don't, I don't know what he's looking at. Do you? And then you got the contemplative Jesus. How did that look? Is that okay? All right, go to the next one. Okay, now this is the Jesus who sells cologne. Right here. Right here, right? He's... <laughs> I he's like, come to me, all who are weary, heavy laden. Something. All right, go to the next one. Oh, now this is the classic one. Y'all remember this one, right? This is, this is the, like one of the originals, like back in the 70s. And that's the, the hallmark, right? These piercing blue eyes. I don't know. I don't know. That's a good question, right? It hits right onto the... Okay, go to the next one. Now, this is Luke McGraw. <laughs> I saw Luke. Is he here? <laughs> it, yeah, right? People over here going, yeah I, yeah, I got it. I see it. I see it. I don't know what. I, yeah. I'm, I'm serious, man. Wow. So there's Luke. Go to the next one. Uh. <laughs> what, what happened? <laughs> I heard this. Oh, oh, man. Okay, this is Christian Baal, Jesus. Mary, the mother of Jesus. Okay. Um, go to the next one. Maybe it's this one. Oh, there he is. Right, pensive, brooding Jesus. That's okay. And go to the next one. Ah, okay. Now this isn't this isn't Jesus. This gets us closer to what we're doing, right? This isn't Jesus, but this is Mary of Nazareth. Did anybody see this one? Let me see this one. Or did you ever see the old one with the the English actor that? played Juliet back in the 70s. Okay. So I wonder, I wonder if this is the image of Mary that we tend to have in our minds. Right? I mean, if we, we all have representations of 
what God is supposed to be doing. Like we have these representations of how he's supposed to work. Yeah? We have these ideas. How he's supposed to work. We have these ideas of what the gospel is supposed to look like. How it's supposed to bang out, right? And unfold. Yeah, I guess the question is, when your representations are faced with Scripture, with what God says, who, bl- who moves? Who blinks? You or God? Do you sort of, do you, do you sort of get conformed to what he reveals, or do you try to you try to take what he reveals and sort of conform it to to your image, the one that you want? I think that this is this stands out to me because this is the way that I see Mary, right? I mean, we do the, we do we do Christmas, we do Advent, right? Coming of coming of Christ, and I, I mean, and I can't speak for all of you. I, I know for me, there, I, you know, it's it, the, the nativity, it has like this quaint feel, right? Like they're at a bed and breakfast. You know, here, Mary, you want some coffee? And they're all waiting for Jesus to come. You know, and she's snuggled up in a comforter and they're beside a warm fire. And, ooh, this is so exciting. Messiah's coming. And, and, but I wonder, is that right? Is that really kind of the way this works out? So I want to look at Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. And I want to see, is this, is this, you know, is this picture, is this the way that Christ comes? Turn with me to Matthew 18, or excuse me, Matthew uh, chapter 1, verse 18. Beginning in verse 18, it says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed uh, betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this, these moments that we can come before you, that we can hear from you. Lord, I just pray that you will just lay me low. I pray that your word, what you intend to communicate to your people, that you would send that out by your spirit, that you would do with that word what you intend in our hearts, that you will shape us and change us by your Spirit. Father, I pray that you will grow us in our grasp of how amazing, how wonderful it is that you have sent your son in the flesh 
pray that we would just stand in awe. We're overwhelmed at this amazing work that you've accomplished for us in here. It's in Christ's name. Amen. So, what caught me as I was reading this passage is that first verse. And it's one of those things, you know, it's sort of kind of, it's like a hook, right? It just grabs you. Verse 18 is now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. In this way. And I kept wondering, why say it like that? In this way. What's interesting is that this verse sort of ties everything that has been said already. Remember, last week Ben um, uh, brought out the point that this is, chapter 1 begins with the genealogy of Jesus Christ, right? So already we sort of have these echoes of the Old Testament, back then, the beginnings of things. Same word is used here for birth, right? Translated. Genealogy, Genesis, birth. Those are all words that the Greek word gets translated as, depending on its form. So in a sense, you've got, you know, the genealogy of Jesus Christ, right? Here you've got the beginnings of Jesus Christ happened, occurred in this particular way. And I think that there's like sort of three movements that unpack what the way is, right? Um, the first one is going to be the way of scandal. Ooh. The second one is the way of purpose. And the third one is the way of faith. I think that's sort of how we could track this. Way of scandal, way of purpose, and way of faith. I say way of scandal because in verse 18, right off the bat, you've got this interesting thing. Right? Again, 18, when his mother Mary had been betrothed. What's interesting is in the Greek, betrothed is like almost, it's the second word. You know, because the order, the word order is going to be different in Greek. But betrothed is like, boom, right there. Right? Betrothed, and here's how it literally reads. When betrothed, his mother, Mary, to Joseph, before they came together, was found with child. Now, I want you to think about this. So, Matthew is telling us, right, he's made a big to-do, right, 1 through 17, this Jesus is king. And the king, the beginnings of the king, Jesus, came in this way, and he starts it like this, which is really, I guess, sort of already set a pattern in the beginning because we've got some interesting stuff happening in his genealogy. But we're talking about his coming, his birth. It's still happening. I'm going to read it slowly. When betrothed, his mother, Mary, to Joseph, was found with child. When betrothed, his mother, Mary, to Joseph, was found with child. And then the last, from the Holy Spirit. Why didn't you start with that? Do you think that you might have had a reason for starting this way? It wasn't just to highlight that, oh, Jesus wasn't born or conceived the regular way. That wasn't, the, that wasn't all that was happening. He's highlighting here, hey, okay, so here's what happened. You can take this off. You can take it down, yeah. So here's what happened, right? These two people, they were married, because for all intents and purpose, betrothal, you know, they were married. The only way to end that is to get divorced. Right, you get betrothed, usually a year. Then you go into your husband's house, and then boom, you're, you know, you guys, are, you guys are married. Or rather, you're, um, it's consummated. Well, that, you know, that's not happening. 
right? But we find out that she's pregnant. Okay, let me run this back again. All right, so let's say we have a couple of people in here. Let's say we have a, a guy and a girl here, and, you know, and you all know them, right? They're these wonderful people. You've seen them grow up in the church, and then they start dating, right? And all of you, you're like, oh, this is so sweet, so nice, such a cute couple. They're going to get married, and they're going to have babies. And then you hear through the grapevine, we'll call, we'll call him Todd, and we'll call her um, Tina. Again? Todd and Tina. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's all I could think of. I'm really, I'm, I'm sorry. Todd and Tina. You hear through the grapevine. You know, you get a text. Never guess what happened. What? They're busy. That's just hang on a second. Todd and Tina are pregnant. What? And then Tina says to you, no, 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 no. We didn't have, we didn't, can, can you say, can, how do I do that? I didn't even think about this. Um, <laughs> wow. Nick, don't shake your head at me. Nick, he said, I'm on my own. Thank you, Christian brother. Okay, well, you know where we're going with this, so we just... Um, that probably made it worse, didn't it? Um, so, so Tina says, no, 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 no. I was, I was hanging out at the house, and an angel came. And this angel told me, you're going to have a baby. What are you going to think about that anybody fine okay we'll make it easier you know we'll just go with no no nothing happened and you would say I don't what would you say would you buy that anybody buy that no we, no no nothing happened Okay, so you just, I don't know, you just woke up one morning and bam! That, that, that's what you're telling me? Eh, kind of. Anybody buying it? What's interesting is that you and I, like, we, we will sort of have this, you know, proper um, um, uh, doubt about that kind of thing happening. Now... Right? But we all assume that when we read this passage, and I'm, I'm just, I'm, think about this. I mean, I'm thinking about what, what it does to me. I don't know why it is. I read this passage and I go, well, yeah, of course.
and he's not buying it. You and I, of course, we would. Yes, makes perfect sense to me. It didn't to Joseph. I mean, this messed him up. Right? Think about this. He believed that she was unfaithful. He proposed, or he purposed, to divorce her. Right? Remember, he's a just man. We see two things going here, which really speak to his character. He's just. He wants to do what is obedient to God and to deal with this. And he wants to show mercy. These two realities. This could be a real problem. You know, and I'm not even sure how he does this, you know, the mercy part exactly, because he has found this virgin who's been betrothed to him, she's with child. Right? That's Deuteronomy 24. Not going to turn out okay for her. He wants to be, he's just, but he wants to show her mercy. And so he's going to try to do this quietly. Now, what's his alternative? Think about this. What happens to Joseph if he stays with her? What then? What does that look like? Because, see, now we got, and we might already have this, right? You know, we got Tina saying, no, no, nothing happened. But then Todd, you know, he's staying with her. He's not doing anything. So maybe they're both in on it. That's not going to look good. How do you think the community is going to look at him? We already get a real clear indication of how it's going to be for her. He doesn't want to put her to shame. He's trying to avoid that inevitable outworking. Shame. But there's no way around it. If he stays with her, he will be taken up in that too. Do you track with me? Can you see how that would be a problem? Have you ever been afraid to, like, just go with Jesus? In a context where not everybody wants to go with Jesus. Have you? I mean, really, have, have, have any of you ever experienced that little, that little moment where you don't wonder, you do it. You go, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bow out now. Right? You know. Friends, hey, I read this article about this, about this, and I couldn't read it because I mean, I, I couldn't use it. So it's like in popular science, and it was back in 2012, and it starts off right. Merry Christmas, scientists! This is the time of the year when those crazy miracle-believing people come out, right? And they start talking about virgins, right, and you know, uh, babies and. You know, at work, people are sitting around talking, and they're like, you know, because <laughs> that's coffee, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was talking to Don earlier, and he's talking about, you know, you know, Jesus. Can you believe that? He believes in the virgin birth, right? Carol, can you believe that? Bud, can you believe virgin birth? <laughs> and, and, what, and have you ever, like, <laughs> come on, anybody ever done that? I have. Swallowed it. I don't want somebody to think I'm stupid. Got Joseph here. Dilemma. We see that, like, you know, obviously something's going on because he wants to handle this quietly. And I just imagine if he stays, I get caught up in this wake of shame. 
It's as though already the genesis of Jesus has cost both Mary and Joseph. I mean, Joseph, what we're seeing is that any connection to this kid, this child that's coming, is going to mean dishonor. We're already getting little bit of little glimpses of that. It's going to mean shame. We, we assume this idea of contented bliss, right? This really, again, that sort of picture of Mary of Nazareth. Smiling, they're doing their thing for Facebook. When in actuality, and again, this is definitely no pun intended. This is absolutely deliberate, I think. It, this whole scene, is look, it looks more like a labor. Right? I mean, like, it's one of those moments, and again, I've never, I've, never, I've never given birth to a child. Right? So I'll just say that first. But I can only imagine that we're like, this is, ah, this is the best thing I've ever experienced. I mean, absolute torture. I mean, really, when you get down to it. And maybe we don't grasp that with our, like, our privacy Right? Very easy for us to back out. You know, our society sort of has set up our capacity to sort of compartmentalize ourselves and move away. But that's not really what was happening here. It wasn't possible. And so you have this, this thought experiment right off, right off the top, right? This the genesis of Jesus, coming of Jesus, comes in the way of scandal. What is your representation of him? How does that hit you? Do your, does your representation and what we just saw there, does it match? So, Joseph is trying to work this stuff out in his head. He's trying to think about this. And I, I would imagine that there's this sort of exhaustion that he comes to. And he falls asleep. Goes to sleep. We know he's asleep. Because of what happens in the next few verses. 20, 23. Right? It says, Behold... An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, which is not unusual. We're seeing that kind of stuff happen, visions and dreams, you know, that kind of revelation going on. Notice what this angel does. And in this, what we're seeing first off is kind of this movement that makes sense of the scandal. Jesus coming, the genesis of Jesus in the way of purpose. If you look at, uh, excuse me, 20 and 23, a couple things go on. In that, like the latter part of 20, it says, For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will have bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And if you jump down to 22, here's where we get the rest of this. Behold, the virgins shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So in those two parts, you can see how they match, right? Because on the one, you've got Mary, who is a virgin, right? We know this because in Luke, Mary goes, how is this going to happen? I haven't known a man, right? We know that's the case. So this way of purpose, first of all, we see what this spells out, those two parallel passages, is that this purpose unfolds. It comes by way of God's presence. 
you've got the conception, the birth of the son, Jesus, the conception, the birth of a son, Emmanuel. That's Isaiah 7. Emmanuel means God with us. So at least, first of all, we have this idea that God is going to be with us. But he's going to be with us in the flesh. Isaiah 7 was doing something a little bit different. Isaiah 7 functioned in some different ways. In that case, we see sort of God's plan working out. That's the second idea behind this way of purpose. Verse 22, it says, All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet Isaiah. I mean, everything that he's just said, all of it took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken. This was God's plan. A long time coming. This whole idea of God having a purpose. That the genesis of Jesus coming in the way of purpose. is God coming in the flesh. And that coming in the flesh was a long time coming. All along the way, we see these signposts pointing that direction. We could call it types, shadows of the real thing to come. That's one way of thinking about Isaiah 7 when Matthew says that all of these things happen to fulfill it. Because immediately what's going on there is you've got Ahaz, king of Judah, and he's not a very good guy. I think Ben talked about him a little bit. He's really nervous because Syria and Israel, right, they are about to come after him. But God sends Isaiah, and Isaiah comes with a word from the Lord and says, listen, don't worry about these guys because I've heard you. I've heard your concern. I'm going to take care of this. Ask me for a sign. Ahaz says, no, no, I can't do that. You know, remember Ben said last time, I can build some, some altars, but I can't do that. God goes, great. All right, so here, I'm going to give you one. And then we have Isaiah 14. The virgin is going to bear a son. He's going to call his name Emmanuel. Before that kid knows the good or the evil, this is going to be dealt with. It's going to be done. You will know God is with us by this sign and what I do. And, by the way, Isaiah said to Ahaz, because, you know, you seem to have some problems here believing God, not just now, but in kind of what you've been doing. Um, after that, another nation's going to take you out. So we've got this promise in Isaiah 7 of this hope that's coming, God's rescue, God's deliverance. But we also have the flip side of this, God's judgment for unbelief. One, it's the part that I left out. And everything sort of hangs on this. It says that which is conceived in her is the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from their sin. From their sins. Here's more of God's plan. All of this has been coming. The prophet said it. God coming in the flesh to do in final, complete, total um, uh, uh, a total way going to provide this reversal this redemption he's not coming just to save from these foreign nation he's coming to save his people from 
the enemy, right? Their sins. He's coming to rescue them from a different location, a location that they and all the nations are a part of, right? In Adam. That dead body, body of death, that corporate fallen humanity, he's rescuing them, bringing them out. That's God's plan. That's what he's announcing. That's what he's revealing to Joseph in this dream. That's, he's telling Joseph, this is what this is all about. Now, we could back up, and I want to, you guys can, you know, disagree with this. Um, well, but you can disagree with any of it, but this, I thought, is hard to miss. And it seems to me to be really important, because I started wondering, and again, it's just uh, out loud thinking. What? Okay, so let's just say it wasn't a virgin. Let's just say it was a woman who had um, who had been married and maybe had some kids already. But God goes, boom, you're with child. I mean, would that have worked? Would that have worked? I mean, it seems like the main issue here is not having Joseph involved in the birth of this child, right? I mean, that seems to be the whole immaculate conception idea here. Not because, you know, we sort of, it's not an end around sin so that Jesus isn't sinless. That doesn't work because, remember, Mary's a part of that whole thing too. So that's not going to solve the problem. It's important, seems the big thing is it's important that there is no human father involved. Does that necessitate a virgin birth? So he's thinking that, okay, maybe there's more going on here. So let me start, first of all, with what we see before Mary. And we'd have to go outside of this. But before Mary, who gets pregnant in an amazing way? Y'all remember? Just in this story, just before Mary gets pregnant, Elizabeth. Yeah, Elizabeth. And Elizabeth is barren. And they had kids the normal way. But here we have this special birth. She's giving birth to John, the forerunner of Jesus. So think about this, that, that, that sort of twofold thing, right? Barren and then virgin, both of those themes play out in Scripture in an interesting way. So remember, you, first of all, we have this long history of women who experience barrenness. Sarah was barren, and then she gave birth to Isaac. Rebecca, she was barren, and then she gave birth to Jacob. Rachel She was barren, and the two that she gave birth to were Joseph and Benjamin. And then Hannah. Remember Hannah, 1 Samuel? Hannah was barren, prayed, went to the temple. Lord promised to provide a child. Or she dedicated dedicated the child to the Lord if he would grant it. She gave birth to Samuel. So, barrenness is a theme that has a couple of different ideas to it. On the one hand, barrenness brings with it the idea of curse and exile. You see that in the prophets. In fact, you see that already in Deuteronomy. Way back in Deuteronomy, remember, if faithful to the covenant, then you're going to be having babies. You know, your women and your animals, all going to be having kids. That's the blessing of the covenant. And if you're rejecting me, then it's a curse. That was sort of the way that that unfolded. So you've got curse, and then in the prophets, this Israel as a whole is described as barren, taken out. What's interesting is that you also have 
the prophet's talking about Israel, this barren mother who is coming back in and she has all these kids. That's Isaiah. Isaiah, I think it's um, 34 or 54. Where did all these kids come from? I'm, I'm coming back and I've got all these little ones. Me who had nothing. Right, so we see that story unfolding. Curse, exile, and then the barren woman returning from exile. You also, the same thing with the virgin, right? The virgin motif, Israel is this virgin, this is Isaiah 37, who's protected from the enemy. Right? God the Father protecting the virgin daughter because of their protection. And then... People of, people of Israel, they are described as a virgin who is now being judged and taken into exile. Ezekiel gets really explicit about that. I mean, it's like, ooh, rated R kind of stuff. Right? Almost like this virgin daughter who's not, who's not been very chaste. But then you also have this people of Israel pictured as a, as a virgin, redeemed from exile. That's in Jeremiah 31, of all places. Now, I'll read that one to you. If you want to turn there, you can. It's, ooh, 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 sorry. Oh, well, it just keeps on going, doesn't it? Jeremiah 31, 4 says this. Is that right? Yeah. Again, I will build you, and you shall be built, O virgin Israel. Again, you shall adorn yourself with tambourines and shall go forth in the dance of the merrymakers. Again, you shall plant vineyards on the mountains of Samaria. The planter shall plant and shall enjoy fruit. And then in verse, um, sorry, 21. Set up road markers for yourself. Make yourself guideposts. Consider well the highway, the road by which you went. Return, O virgin Israel, return to these cities. Are these your cities? How long will you waver, O faithless daughter? For the Lord has created a new thing on earth. A woman encircles a man. And then at the end of 23, The Lord bless you, O habitation of righteousness, O holy hill. This is the description of Israel, right? This virgin daughter being brought back. And then we have Elizabeth and Mary. Barrenness first, and then virgin birth. It's like what we have is the story of Israel um, sort of unfolding, right? It's told in the lives of those two women. It's like, it's like this. Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 to 17. It's not an accident that all of that was building to the Christ. We see that history come to a focal point in the lives of Mary and Elizabeth. Barren and virgin. And that was the purpose that God had for this. That's what he was doing all of this time. So in the midst of this way of scandal, God reveals very clearly to Joseph this way of purpose. God's going to be present. He's going to work out his plan. And here's the last one. It's this Way of God's power. Verse 20. Remember we said Joseph was asleep? 
And it said there that angel of the Lord appeared to him. And he says, Joseph, do not be afraid. Do not fear to take Mary as your wife. Why does he say that? What's the reasoning? For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. That's the part that I wanted to camp out on for just a second. From the Holy Spirit. So we've got the Holy Spirit, right? Third person of the Trinity. Holy Spirit doing something in this dark place that nobody can see, right? Down in the depths that is going to completely transform the world. Does anybody know how the Holy Spirit did that? No, no. I mean, I don't, I don't either. I don't know exactly what that was doing. What we do know is that this isn't, we don't, this isn't like completely out of nowhere, right? It's not completely out of nowhere because we know this is what the Spirit does. We know this is the Spirit, what he does is he creates. He creates. So it makes a lot of sense that if we've got Jesus being created, it would be the Spirit who's at work doing it. And we're going to see that all through the life of Jesus, the centrality of the Spirit. We've got the Spirit who is creating from Mary, presumably not out of nothing, because, you know, from this substance, right? Which means, you know, her eggs. It's her gestation cycle. He's doing it through all of that. But he supplied the one thing that's missing. You know, the other, the other chromosome. This, okay, so, so this is the mystery. This is what's amazing. How does God do that? That's, that's a good question. Maybe the better question is, why would God do that? Why would God come in the flesh? This should bake your noodle. Right? This part right here, it should mess you up. That God would come in the flesh. Let me read to you John Owen. I think that he says this beautifully. And I'll try to break this up for you. About the incarnation. He's an old Puritan. He said, this assumption of our nature into hypostatic union with the Son of God, this constitution of one and the same individual person, one person in two natures. And you know what's amazing about those natures? Two natures, right? Not, uh, well, two natures, right? God, essence, nature, and human, man's essence, nature. Two natures, now get this, Okay? That couldn't be more far apart. Not because of not because of the fall, right? That's not where that starts. We're talking about God. Okay? I mean, we are we 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 are we are like God analogously, right? He's our father analogously. You and I. What, what we know about God, I mean, this is the idea of God being incomprehensible, right? You will never get him. Never, ever, ever. Because he's God. He is completely other than us. Does that, that's, that, that may be something that we miss. 
along the way. How incredible. The way that, the way that, the way that, um, the way that, uh, and this is what I liked about Owen's. The same individual person in two natures so infinitely distinct as those of God and man. Infinitely distinct. There is an infinite chasm between you and God. Between me and God. I mean, we, it, it may do us well to dispense with this idea that we could just sort of kind of, you know, walk up and, you know, hey, God, what's up? Right? I mean, there's a reason. There's a reason why people, they, when they're not even seeing, they're not even seeing God. They're seeing these representations like angels, right? The angel of the Lord. But I don't even see God or Moses. Remember Moses? He is, I mean, you don't get closer. And he didn't see him. He saw his hindquarters. And even then, he was seeing this imaginal, imaginal representation of God, right? Light, heat, all this. Do you track with that? Even, even just that sight? I'm down. I can't handle it. This is God. Ineffable is the right word. There are no words. There are, are not enough words. The words that we use are like, are like that right there. And this is what's interesting. He says this, in, in, all, in, in all of that, this constitution of one and the same individual with two natures, he says, whereby the eternal, think about this, the eternal is made in time. How do you do that? Do you, you get that? Eternal, made in time. The infinite becomes, inf I mean, finite. The immortal, mortal, yet, yet, continuing, eternal, infinite, immortal. How does that happen? He says this, that reality, that assumption of our nature, what we just described, he says this, is that singular expression of divine wisdom goodness, and power, wherein God will be admired and glorified until all eternity. That is why we worship him. That is the only way that we can worship him. Do you, this is not, this isn't like sort of an optional thing. There is no other way for that to happen, for us to worship him. What's going on in Matthew 18? That is the rock foundation, the, the, the center, the core reality that holds everything together. Everything that the Holy Spirit creates this child. He says this. This word was made flesh not by any change of his own nature, or essence, not by a transubstantiation or conversion of the divine nature into the human, not by ceasing to be what he was, get this, the second person of the Trinity, the Son, this is what he's saying, the second person of the Trinity, the Son, did not stop being the Son. If that would have happened, we would have no hope. The second person of the Trinity did not stop being the Son. He became what he was not. He took on our nature. That's a very different thing. By becoming 
what he was not in taking our nature to his own, to be his own, whereby he dwelt among us. If we've learned nothing else from the unfolding of this plan, right, of God, that's coming through this scandal of the genesis of Jesus, what we're recognizing is that there can be no stable, no permanent, gracious relationship between us and God unless, unless our nature was assumed into personal union with him. That is the only way that happens. You do get that, right? Think about this. Jesus takes on our nature, right? Think about that human nature universally, right? That human nature has never gotten closer to the living God than that in Christ Jesus. This whole program of redemption, this whole program of religion, what religion is about, right, is this drawing near to and being conformed to God, right? That doesn't happen anywhere else as thoroughly and completely as it does in Christ Jesus. We never got closer to him than that. In Christ, we draw near to this God that we serve. Through this ineffable, mysterious event that is amazing, we draw near to a God that we will never fully comprehend. In Christ, let me say it this way, in Christ, how about this? We have the clearest display. This is why we savor Jesus. This is why we behold him. This is why he's beautiful. Because in Jesus Christ, in him, we have the clearest expression of God's wisdom, power, and goodness. There, you don't get a clearer display of who God is, the Father, than that. Do you see why this is so important? <clears throat> Lastly, you've got this kind of way, of, way of, uh, of scandal, right? And then this way of purpose. So think about it like this. I wish I had drawn this out. So think, you got Mary and Joseph, um, uh, Okay, so you've got Mary and Joseph. Ah! Those are real thorns. Ah! Wow. You got Mary and Joseph. Right? On this side, well, here we do this. On this side, Mary and Joseph are here, right? Man and woman here. Okay? Right? He's going to divorce her, which means they won't be united. Okay, you track with me? Here we go. This is going to get tricky. Mary and Joseph, man, woman, not united, right? The man goes to sleepy town, right? And while he's sleeping, God reveals to him what the Holy Spirit is creating in her. And then... The man wakes up, and something happens. Look at, listen to one, look at one, uh, look at uh, <clears throat> uh, 24 and 25. We're, we're almost done, I promise. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. This last two verses, we're seeing the genesis of Jesus coming in this way of faith. That's what it requires. 
man and woman. They're apart. Got to divorce her. Got to distance myself from her. Man goes to sleepy town. Right? Here's what God has done. Then the guy wakes up, and boom, they're together. Does that sound like anything? Okay. Man and woman. Well, hang on. Man goes to sleepy town, wakes up, and there's a woman. Does that sound like anything? What does that sound like? Man. No lady. Goes to sleepy town. Wakes up, boom, a lady. And then they get together. What is that? Where is that coming from? Anybody? You can yell it out. Oh, Adam and Eve. Who's, what kid said that? Ah, okay, I'm going to get you something, girl. I will get you something. Okay, what if, what if what we've got here, what if what we've got going on? In this story, I don't think this is an accident. Right? You've got the man and the woman. She's here already, but they're apart. Right? He goes to sleepy town and finds out that God has created something out of her. And then, after hearing that, he comes together with her. It's an interesting reversal, right? In this case... In Adam and Eve, he goes to sleepy town. God makes this woman out of him. And then they come together. In our story, God is doing something new. He's making something out of her that is going to undo what he did with her. You, you tracking with me? Does that make sense? In other words, what we've got here is a nice little creation story. Not an accident. What we see with Joseph is a response of faith. That's the only thing that can make sense of this. Right? It's interesting that the angel, when he saw him in the dream, he said, Joseph, son of David. Do you know that son of David in the New Testament, that, is, that phrase is used of no one else other than Jesus except for here. Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid. And isn't it interesting that Ahaz, when Isaiah came to him and told him about the, 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 um, the virgin who's going to have a child named Manuel, isn't it interesting that Isaiah came and told Ahaz, hey, God's heard you, do not fear. Again, those aren't accidents. What we're seeing is one story that is making the fullest sense of everything that's been going on. Joseph was important because he was the son of David. His obedience, right, that flows from a recognition that Oh, this is what God is doing. This is what God's about. He had to believe that. He had to believe in that addition to his name, son of David. Oh, this is that king. He had to believe it. And you know what's interesting is that we get taken up into that story. Because 2 Corinthians 11, verse 2. And I think this makes sense of so much. This is an admonition, and I'll leave you with this. 2 Corinthians 11, Paul says to the Corinthians, right? Because we know that, you know, they were just a joy. He says, I wish you would bear with me a little foolishness. Do bear with me, for I feel divine jealousy for you. Listen to this. Since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. The story that we're seeing here. God's bringing his son into the midst of scandal. Right? 
for the purposes that he's designed. We see those. We we respond by trusting what he is doing, what he has done for us. And we are engrafted into that story, that virgin story. Let's pray. Father, again, thank you for your goodness and mercy. Thank you for your love that you've shown to us in your son. I pray that we would stand in awe of this work that you have done, that we cannot possibly comprehend in fullness. Would you stir in us hearts of worship by your grace, grace that you've granted in Christ. Amen.